and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, across the nation from WSB in Atlanta, Georgia. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. So I went to the Braves game. Uh, had a lot of fun on Saturday. I, I So I got the... Um, booster and you know I, I i'm not gonna lie to you I, I i didn't feel great after the second dose and now this would amounts to the third dose i really didn't feel good uh about 12 hours later it, it just it kind of hit me uh by 9 p.m in fact i'd said so on the show i figured it would be about 12 hours because that's what it was with my kids with theirs and with my wife and with me with the second round and i spent the night uh, I actually had to put towels in the bed. I was sweating so much at having night sweats, hot flashes, and then chills uh, all night long. And then Saturday morning started to feel a little better. Wasn't sure I could go to the game, but I did. And by the evening, I felt fine and, and uh, slept, set, got a hotel room Saturday night, slept through the night, work, woke up Sunday perfectly fine. Um, and, of course, I'm here today. But, yeah, definitely had a little bit of an effect. But but I, I feel um, just get, given mine and my wife's health and all. I thought it was the wise thing to do. I got to tell you, um, it's it's interesting to me, positive, I, I suspect, in, in this way, to see that the Atlanta Braves are not abandoning the tomahawk chop or their uh, connection uh, to being called the Braves. Like, you know, the Cleveland Indians are going to be the Cleveland Guardians. Big hullabaloo about that. It, it's nice to see the Braves doubling down. I mean, they had a guy out in the outfield beating the drum. And everybody starts the Braves chant, uh, the Tomahawk Chop. Uh, they, they, the graphics come up to encourage people to do the chop. They're owning it. They built relationships with uh, the Cherokee Indians, uh, and it's good uh, to see them do this and to own it. Um, I, I'm glad to see them do it this way and to uh, fully embrace the name of the Braves and what it means. They got rid of their old mascot. I don't like the new mascot, but that that's fine. Um, uh, it, it's an appropriate compromise, I think. All right. Um, I, I, w- I want to move on from there. I, I need to, we, we need to talk about Allison Williams. Allison Williams is the college football sideline reporter for ESPN. She's leaving the company. She's doing so because Disney has mandated a vaccine for everyone. Her doctor told her not to get it because she's trying to get pregnant. It was based on the advice of her doctor. And as a result, she requested an accommodation from Disney and they denied her request and so she's out. She's gone. It's a moral dilemma. She says, uh, belief is a word I've been thinking about a lot lately because in addition to the medical apprehensions regarding my desire to have another child, in regards to receiving the injection, I'm morally and ethically not aligned with this. And I've had to really dig deep and analyze my values and my morals, and ultimately I need to think them first. And the irony in all of this is that a lot of these same values and morals that I hold dear are what made me a really good employee, what help with the success that I'm able to have in my career. 
but she said she wasn't going to put her paycheck over her principles. And a lot of people are celebrating this good riddance. We're really seeing a lack of people's ability to empathize. She is hoping for another child. Her doctor told her not to do this, not to get the vaccine. There's a lot of evidence, standard science, history of vaccines say you shouldn't have to worry. But people have doubts. And by the way, we've only been giving the vaccine this year, so we're only now, just now, starting to see children being born whose parents have had the vaccine, and they're still an anomaly now. Got to give it more time. I just find that appalling. I do. I find it very appalling, the, the anger and rage of people who don't want to show any level of basic sympathy, empathy, or compassion for the situation, who don't want to acknowledge that uh, people do have legit concerns, that bothers me greatly that we're in this situation. It bothers me greatly that we're punishing people who do. There are some people who their their concerns are less than pure. There are some people who are just like, hell no, you can't make me do it. But the anger, the rage, the, the, the excoriation, the willingness to humiliate those who don't want it, the fact that we we can't show any level of respect or compassion for these people is greatly disappointing to me. And it goes beyond that. We're, we're building resentment in ways I find deeply inappropriate. We're building resentment and we're further dividing the country in ways. I don't think we should be dividing the country. And that, to me, is the worst aspect of this, how there are so many ways that we could be united. There are so many ways we as a people could try to find some common ground and exercise some grace, and it could be modeled by our leaders and our businesses. And they don't want to model it. They don't see the need. They don't have the desire they're perfectly happy for the divisions and they they hate you. And that's just going to build and fester further in a country at a time we actually as a nation need to be united. China is a real threat. China and Russia and Iran and the terrorists, they're real threats. We need to be united against them as a nation. We need to be united for each other. And so many forces are dividing us. Social media, 
conservatives and progressives want to hate each other. They want to define each other in opposition to each other, not for ideas, but in opposition to each other. Corporations are jumping on the bandwagon. They're doing it. The president is doing it. The former president is doing it. All of the angels on our shoulder are bad. Kerry Irving, the basketball player, is having to give up millions of dollars in basketball. He's the one unvaccinated player. Doesn't this suggest the vaccines really don't work? I mean, I think they do. I just got the booster. But doesn't it suggest they don't work if you're worried about one guy being unvaccinated when everyone else is vaccinated? Same with Allison Williams at ESPN. Everybody else is vaccinated. What, what does it harm them that she's not? Because they could still get it. They could get it from someone who's vaccinated. I know my dad got it from someone who's vaccinated. So what does it matter? It's more of a, a virtue signal. It's more of a test of someone's virtue at this point. And, and you're not allowed to disagree. You will be made to care. You will be made to care on this issue. They will force you to care. There will be consequences if you don't care in the way they care. And they will presume that you're a hateful bigot, that you, that you hate everyone. You want everyone to die, that you're a selfish person. And that fosters even more resentment and more division in the country and less unity. Delta Airlines actually deserves some real credit for going against the prevailing orthodoxies and zeitgeist. Now, Delta is charging employees more money for health care if they refuse to get vaccinated. And their argument is sound. Whether I agree with it or not, it's not an endorsement of their policy per se, but their argument sound that if you get COVID, their health care costs are X. If you refuse to get vaccinated, therefore, we're going to charge you a premium that employees who do get vaccinated aren't going to be charged because you've got a greater risk of getting this disease and driving up our health care costs. And so you're going to be the ones to do it. Some companies do this with smokers. Some companies do this with those who are obese and refuse to exercise. It's Delta's right to do it, and they're doing it without mandating the vaccine. There is a consequence. Slightly higher insurance premiums. But it's a consequence a lot of the employees are willing to bear. But you know what? Delta employees have stepped up. Overwhelmingly, they've gotten vaccinated without a mandate, without being told. And the employees who don't want the vaccine, they they don't have to worry. They're not going to lose their jobs. They're not going to lose their jobs. And that's good. That's a reasonable compromise. That the federal government and the president don't want people to find a reasonable common ground and compromise is a problem that a, that a company like Disney will lose a good reporter, a female reporter who has legitimate concerns, whether you agree with them or not legitimate concerns about pregnancy, because she won't take the vaccine is appalling that there are people who want to rub your nose in the fact that other people aren't getting the vaccine and they died and yay, I mean, the, the, the level of celebratory cheering in the media when someone dies of COVID who didn't get the vaccine, that'll teach them. It's really appalling. If you weren't here in the last hour, there's a story. 
in Philadelphia of a man on a train who raped a woman while others were there and watched. And none of them even called 911. They didn't intervene. They didn't try to stop. They didn't even call 911. They just let it happen. I, I, I realize it can get me in trouble when I throw all these thoughts together at the last minute in my head. But th- this, this all seems to be of a same, come from the same place. The unwillingness to be empathetic, the unwillingness to care, the unwillingness to take action. And people who are pro-vaccine will hear this, and I'm pro-vaccine, and say, well, yeah, I mean, those unvaccinated people are going to make us all die. No, I I think there's something else here. When you're all of a certain mindset, you you don't care enough to even look at the, the concerns, to empathize, to take action, to protect others who have a legitimate concern and a doctor saying don't do this, and you're going to cheer on that person being fired? You could have been on that train in Philly doing nothing. And I know, I know that the 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 cult of of the pro vaccine cult will be like, no, I, we're the ones taking, we're the ones getting the vaccine, we're the ones who would have been pro, we're the ones who would have called nine one one. No, I don't, I don't really think you are. I I think you've you've put yourself in the role of hero, and you feel good about it. Yeah, I would have called nine one one if I was on that train. Except here you are seeing people losing their jobs and they have legitimate concerns and you're actually cheering them on losing their job and their livelihood. You're actually cheering on the people who are dying because they didn't get vaccinated. That'll teach them. We need more people to learn. I I don't think you're the hero you think you are. Doesn't mean I agree with the fact there's there's an entire industry of people mostly on the right these days who are willfully lying about the vaccine to encourage other people not to get it. And they're costing people lives. But then on the left, there are the diehard vaccine advocates who they've abandoned all reason and science as well. And they've built a house full of lies and they're cheering on the people whose livelihoods are being ruined for not doing what they want. They're no better than those other people. And all of them together are like the people on the train who refused to call 911, just sat there and watched it. These aren't the Americans any of us should be proud of on either side. And, and the companies that are engaged in this, that are firing employees who have legitimate concerns, they... They should be ashamed of themselves. Disney should be ashamed of itself, and they're not either. That's We're not in a good shape in this country with all the people in all the various ways really being like the people on that train. Y'all, from the moment I sat in my X chair, my body said, this is what a real office chair is supposed to be like. I had, gosh, I had gone through office chairs, and then I got my X chair, and it is the perfect chair. In fact... My X chair, unlike your chair, can massage my back while I'm sitting doing three hours of talk radio. It can even heat up and cool down depending on my office, which tends to run hot in the summer and cold in the wintertime. And it's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed for the X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic lumbar 
DVL, they call it, dynamic variable lumbar. Your back's going to be happy. What I need you to do, you got to go check out the X-Year because yeah, I bought the, y'all know the expensive brand and I bought it. It was a good chair. It actually was a really good chair and X-Chair takes it to the next level. What you need to do is go to xchaireric.com now. That's X, the letter X, chair, E-R-I-C-K.com or call 844-4-X-Chair for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. It's xchaireric, E-R-I-C-K.com. It is worth it. You can call in and be a part of the program if you like. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. If you are in charge of the finances of a business and you need access to uh, large amounts of, of capital, you need a loan, well, go to First Liberty Building and Loan. They make their own lending decisions. They've been helping businesses become even bigger businesses since the early 90s. They don't do small deals, though. We're talking six figures and up. They're the people you need to do business with. I know them personally. They're good friends. Uh, They've helped me get the show off the ground, and I thank them for their sponsorship. And I'm telling you, uh, if you're in charge of a business, you need to talk to them if you want a business to grow. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. FirstLibertyGA.com. They can help you anywhere in the nation. Y'all, I, well, I got to tell you, I I told you so. You know, believe it or not, there are times where I'm kind of in the I told you so camp. Like I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to point out I was right about something. A good radio show host should be willing to toot his own horn on occasion, but there are sometimes I'm just like, eh. it's so obvious. President Biden appointed a commission to try to review the Supreme Court. You will recall during the campaign with the push to get Amy Coney Barrett on the court, the progressives were like, we got to pack the court. We got to pack the court. We got to get rid of the filibuster. We got to pack the court. And Joe Biden says, I'll, I'll do a commission to study it. Biden has done a commission to study it. They basically punted. They agreed you can't pack the court, that it would discredit the court at a time the court needs its credibility. There, there is a concerted PR effort by the left to undermine credibility in the court and make it out to be a political operation because, you know, anything the left can't control, the left tries to destroy. The left cannot control Fox News, and so they're trying to destroy Fox News. The left does not control the Supreme Court. They're trying to, therefore, destroy the Supreme Court. The left does not do good in talk radio. They're trying to destroy talk radio. Anything the left cannot control... The left tries to destroy. So now that they are clearly in the minority on the Supreme Court, they're trying to destroy the Supreme Court through ruining its credibility and making it seem politicized. And along comes Joe Biden's commission and says, yeah, packing's not a good idea. I think we're going to pass on that. Maybe term limit, maybe term limits. It's kind of funny to watch the left meltdown. They're really upset. They're really, really upset because they're not really getting anything they want. And they presume that they are dominant in the country, and they're really not. You know what the suburbs really despise? Crazy. The suburbs hate crazy. And right now, the left in America comes across as even crazier than Republicans, even crazier than Trump supporters. And Trump supporters have been kind of out there on some stuff. Let's just acknowledge Love y'all, but let's just acknowledge. And the left is like, hold my beer. 
and they want to destroy the country. They want to wreck the economy and all do it all to save the planet. And the suburbs are going to reject them and they're going to be devastated and even more angry as a result. That too is predictable. Well, I've ordered the new laptops. The, Apple has upgraded their laptops. Actually, mine is having video issues and I needed to get one. Philip does so much video processing for me these days and his just can't keep up, doesn't have the horsepower to. It's so old, so I've ordered. They announced at Apple today new laptops. You can order them today and they'll be picked up next week. They had so many people on their website. Their website crashed by the time I could get on. Uh, they'll come in the week after Thanksgiving. Yeah, we can hold out to that. I may have to get mine repaired before then. In any event... I move on. Um, so let's talk about the, the rage. Rage of Achilles. That, that's what the Iliad was about. The, the opening line. I, I love the Iliad. When I was a kid, my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Middlebrooks, I, 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 I love that man. He, he and my third grade teacher, Miss Bruscus, a fiery Greek lady, they, they really developed my passion for writing. So it's amazing when you have teachers you just connect with and how you remember them. Um, I, I I follow Mr. Middlebrooks on on Facebook, lives in Massachusetts now. I don't know whatever happened to Mrs. Bruscus. Uh, she was just a, she was older, uh, probably passed away, but I don't know. Um, I just, I adored this. She was a the meanest teacher, well, second meanest teacher I ever had. And yet I loved her. I mean, she, she was my third grade teacher and, and I didn't, I had her husband in fifth grade and then I had her again for something. Um, but she developed my love of writing in third grade. You just occasionally have meaningful teachers like that. And I just, I, 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 I adored them and they got me to writing and they together, she was from Greece. Mr. Middlebrooks had lived in Greece and they developed my love of Greek mythology in Greece. When I was in ninth grade, this, this will blow your mind. When I was in ninth grade, that was my senior class in Dubai. And so we took a senior class trip and we went to Greece, the Greek Isles and part of Turkey. It was great. And I got to go uh, see the, the mask of Agamemnon, the death mask of Agamemnon, which probably wasn't really him, we all know. But I got to go to Mycenae, I got to go to Sparta, I got to go to Athens and Marathon, I got to go to Corinth. I it's just it, it was it, it, fantastic. It was just it was it was the greatest trip I've ever taken. And I love Greek mythology. I love the Iliad and the Odyssey. The Rage of Achilles. That's what the Iliad was about. Uh, Achilles, really, who dies, who his mother had held his heel and dipped him into the river Styx to get him protections, but uh, where she had held him by his heel had no protection, and he was shot in the heel, as, as one of the versions of the Iliad goes, and he dies. And, you know, by the way, as an aside here, this is, I'm getting way off course, but this is, I find interesting. Do you know, the, the story of the Iliad when Homer, the blind bard, told the story, it was an oral tradition. And it was passed down 
generation after generation after generation after generation as an oral story was not in writing. And only generations after the story had been told over and over and over was it put in writing. And it was put in writing. And again, this generations of having told it before it's put in writing. And there are little bits and pieces that are put into the writing. And from those little bits and pieces of story, little little idiosyncrasies that you would have thought would have faded out over time, they were able to find the city of Troy. Turns out it was a true story. Now, obviously, magnified and, and things that happened uh, it, it tied to the Greek gods. But Mycenae was real. Agamemnon was real. Menelaus, a real person. King Priam, real. The plains of Troy, real. It had been so long and, and so far gone, it was found multiple layers down. Cities had been built on top of it, city after city after city. Far further inland due to sedimentation and, and uh, the outflows of rivers. But the plains of Troy were real. The gates of Troy were real. If I remember the story right, I mean, I, I know this part of the story is right as King Priam is fleeing, he buries the treasures in the in the walls of Troy and at the gates and the German archaeologist finds treasure in the walls of the city he suspects is Troy and he knows it's real. And it was an oral tradition passed down repeatedly, generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, and then finally... Hundreds, if not a thousand years later, hundreds most likely, it's finally put in writing and get little details accurate. Which if you're listening to this, you think so oral tradition in the Bible, people writing things down over time. How did Moses get all this stuff right when he's writing the first five books? Well, in addition to, to God being a useful narrator, Oral tradition actually has been shown repeatedly throughout history to actually bear great semblances of truth uh, because of the way that people conveyed stories in those generations prior to the written record. Uh, they were actually very good at getting things right and repeating those things down through the generations in ways that we do with writing uh, now. We write and document, and therefore we can allow our memory to fade because we put it in writing. They then had no writing and must preserve the facts by mind. And it's just, it's, it's, it's different. But that is, a, that is a completely random tangent for where I intended to go. The rage of Achilles. Right now, we have the rage of progressives. And it is the rage of progressives setting the fate of the Democratic Party. The progressives are more and more committed to the need for environmental reforms in this country. The progressives are very committed to shaking up the country to improve electrization, getting rid of fossil fuels and, and getting rid of coal-burning power plants, even though it'll drive up costs, they want these things. They want to incentivize through government subsidy the rapid transition to 
non-fossil fuels to renewables. They've come out today, some progressives have, with the projections that major American cities on the coast, they're all going to be underwater within 100 years. They've gotten so much right, you know, that surely they can forecast 100 years out. And the progressives are making demands. But those demands are not being met in Washington, D.C. Joe Manchin has said there are some real deal breakers out there. Real deal breakers. In fact, the Democrats are demanding now that Joe Biden get involved to the maximum extent possible to put pressure on everyone, but particularly on Joe Manchin, there's nothing he can do. The Democrats want to expand the Clean Electricity Performance Program, SEEP. They want to encourage new financial carrots and sticks for utilities to deploy carbon, zero carbon power, according to Axios. But Joe Manchin says no deal. His state is a big producer of coal, coal and natural gas, and they're saying no deal. Now, Axios says it's an important part of the White House plan to achieve 100% zero carbon power by 2035. Joe Biden wants to adhere to the Paris Agreement that Donald Trump refused. And the Democrats are trying to come up with other ways to get around. One important thing, this is what Axios says, is how much other parts of the Democrats' plan and bipartisan infrastructure legislation would speed the ongoing shift towards zero-carbon sources like wind and solar. Several analysts analysts have tried to game out the Clean Energy Performance Program impact. The upshot is it's really big, but so are the tax provisions in the Democrats' plans, and estimates of the relative effects vary. Resources for the future, a nonpartisan think tank, probably not nonpartisan, estimates that with no policy changes, power sector emissions in 2030 are 43% lower than the 2005 levels. The tax incentives in the Democrats' plan bump that up to 72%. When adding in the SEEP increases, the total is 81%, so the tax credits do more in their study, but there's some nuance. They didn't analyze the climate program in isolation, but rather as policy layered on the tax incentives. But Joe Manchin saying it's dead on arrival and the progressives are livid. And now Joe Manchin has come out and said, yep, sorry, I got red lines on the child tax credit as well. He told the White House the child tax credit has to include a work requirement and a family income cap in the $60,000 range. That may encourage Manchin then to move beyond his $1.5 trillion top line if they're willing to do that. But progressives don't like the work requirement and they don't like the $60,000 cap either because they're trying to do a backdoor universal basic income. Progressives are saying they can't accept that. And they're angry. And now Kristen Cinema is coming out. It's not just Manchin, it's Cinema, and she's saying they got to pass the bipartisan infrastructure plan. If they don't pass bipartisan infrastructure, then they're not going to she's not going to vote on reconciliation. Bipartisan infrastructure plan has to pass first and the progressives, well they're mad at that. They don't like that. And there's no wiggle room here for the progressives. They've got to have mansion and cinema.
they've got to have them. If they don't have them, well, the whole thing blows up. They can't get anything done. And now you've got progressives in the House saying, hey, you know what? I, it, better we get nothing done than we make these compromises. Nothing like the true believers. The true believers just can't bring themselves to compromise. Now, here's more from Axios. President Biden is hosting two separate in-person meetings, one with moderates, one with progressive House members at the White House on Tuesday as infrastructure negotiations continue. This is his latest effort to appease the volatile parts of the party's coalition as Democrats wrangle over how to cut the social spending package down from $3.5 trillion to closer to $2 trillion. The two factions are far apart on key provisions, including prescription drug benefits and climate change and Medicare expansion. The president's trying to figure out what each side is demanding. They want a detailed framework on the spending package at a bare minimum to allow the House to finally pass the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. Joe Manchin has provided the White House specific demands on a social spending package, including the child tax credit. As I said, progressives are having a hard time accepting those demands. And now the Biden White House is beginning to tell everyone, if you don't pass something soon, this could cost Terry McAuliffe. And if it costs Terry McAuliffe, the narrative headed into 2022 is doom. I would tell you the narrative is already doomed for the Democrats headed into 2022. But here's the problem you got to understand. The, the progressives are livid. The progressives feel like they sucked it up. They went with Joe Biden. They were good team members. They went with Joe Biden. They poured their hearts into it. They were able to hold the House. They were able to get the Senate. They want what they want. And they want a lot. And they feel like they've got to do it now because they know they don't want to admit it. But implicitly, progressives understand that the Republicans are taking back the House next year because that's what happens to the party in the White House in the midterm elections. The other party does better. There's a five-seat majority. Republicans will be able to pick that up even without redistricting. You throw in redistricting, it makes it even more likely they pick it up. So the progressives, they've got to have what they want. they got to have it now because this is their last best chance to get it. And they never expected Democrats in the Senate would hold firm on the filibuster. And they're livid. I tell you, I, I hope somebody's up the security around Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. I mean, these progressives, they've totally internalized the earth is going to hell in a handbasket in 10 years. And Joe Manchin is standing in their way of getting what they need to save us all in their mind. I would hope that there's some security around Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. If I'm sure there are some progressives thinking that, you know, if those two are out of the way, we can rush this thing through, except they really couldn't because it would put the Republicans in charge of the Senate. They're not thinking clearly on this stuff. They're enraged. The rage of progressives is causing all sorts of new storylines to develop, and none of them are good for the Democrats. Let me tell you about a storyline that's good for you. Saving money, getting good coverage getting a good cell phone company that shares your values, that's Patriot Mobile. They're Christian and conservative, and they take a portion of their profits, and they spend that money on the pro-life movement and the Second Amendment and helping conservatives around the country. It's what the left's been doing for a while. The right finally caught on with Patriot Mobile. You, too, should be a subscriber to Patriot Mobile. Just transfer your cell phone service over. You can port your number over. 
You can take your phone if it's unlocked or get a new phone with Patriot Mobile. They've got data plans. They've got great cell service nationwide. They use the cell towers the other companies use, so you don't have to worry about it. You can go see their coverage map if you want. If you're skeptical, go see it. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Up at the top, you'll see a, a map for or a link for coverage. But you get free activation if you use my name. You can call them. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you or go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric today. Get free activation and do business with a company that shares your values and is committed to advancing conservatism. Yes, you can. Uh, We haven't had an action alert there, but as this uh, stuff in Washington is heating up, uh, we will be. You can text the word ARMY to 33777. And you just go onto an email list there. You don't get spammed. I don't sell it. But when there is an action item that uh, has to be taken up in Washington, D.C., uh, or in, in the states even, we can mobilize activists very easily to get them to uh, into our action center where they can email, tweet, Facebook messages, or even call their elected officials. It, it works. And so we've got so many people on the list now, it, it, it packs a wall up every time we do it. We probably need to, to do it more often, just get people in the habit of doing it. But with reconciliation, it looks like it's coming down to the wire now. I got to tell you, I during commercial break, I got a note from a friend of mine who's listening up in Washington. He said that he's not sure the progressives are going to budge, that they're really taking an all-or-nothing approach here because they're true believers. It's one of the things I've noticed over the years. You know, I, so I've been in, the, in this business for a while. Well, not even talk radio. I mean, as a conservative activist. When I was at Red State, the guys who started Red State, I, I I get credit for starting Red State. It was really three friends of mine. They brought me in day one. Uh, but they wanted to have more think pieces, uh, bigger form writing about policy. And I was very into activism and activists and, and grassroots and elections. And it changed as I took over and became the editor. It, it really took that on as an activist component to to get candidates elected and the like. And over the years, I've learned that uh, there are messages that work and don't work. And sometimes the things that I really want are things that actually cost votes. And oftentimes, there are candidates who I think would be great, but uh, they're, they're not a good fit for their district. And I've had to learn these things through trial and error and losses over time. Sometimes you can beat the establishment. Oftentimes, the, 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 you got to fight the fight. You know you got to fight the fight but you know you're going to lose going into it. The progressives seem to think that they are on the upswing in this country, and I think a lot of it is the bubble that they're on win with the media and the like. They really do think that they are the dominant power in the country. The dominant power in this country is actually the suburbs, and in the suburbs, they don't like crazy. They don't like rage. They don't like riots, and that's what they're getting from progressives as well as shortages and higher prices. And they can't fill up their car with gas. And they don't like that. And progressives, they live in such a bubble, they don't relate. The, the Democrats are going to have hell to pay next year. Just look at what's happening in Virginia. It should not be that close, and yet it is.